Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. By golly, that is true. And in today's case, silent cowboys. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Welcome. It is another Saturday afternoon here in Tucson, Arizona. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. We're streaming live to you from the White Stallion Ranch. Beautiful and this is, White Stallion Ranch. And this is Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Studio audience, David Layton, freelance journalist. Hey, guys. And he's going, he's going to be doing a lot of dialogue from, from the movies. From our topic of today, which is... Silent Films, Western. Yeah. Hush, hush. Okay, thanks for joining us, folks. <laughs> Quiet down in front. Silent movies, man. There's nothing you can't well, beat. Well, silent Western. <clears throat> Silent yeah, this always reminds me of our great founder and and uh, and and uh, leader Emil Franzi, who more than once had to insist on letting me know that I had a great face for radio. <laughs> so uh, silence, you know, silence. Uh, uh, it it kind of goes along with all of it. You know, I think I think you know if you look at us collectively, I think we all probably have have great voices for silent film. I think so. Yes. I think so. I, I'm, I'm positive of it. Um, let's see. Uh, it's, it's, it's hello. Where did what, I go? What happened? Oh. oh, well, you want me to talk? There we go. Oh, okay. Apparently, I got a loose cable there. Yeah, like, got more than a loose cable. Match the loose screws in my head. <laughs> um, silent movies. There's. I mean, this is the start of them. Silent westerns is where we're going to go with this. And uh, Bunker and I have been struggling all week to locate the. Absolute first. I haven't been looking for first. I've just been looking for information. I've been looking for firsts, and uh, there, frankly, is no real first. They're all over the. They're place. They're all over the place. The fact of the matter is, you can look at the Great Train Robbery, which basically was the first western to tell a story. And tell a story, except that and they that, say the one from Brighton, the English one, which predates it, tells the story. You see, there, there's, there's, there's all, there's, there's all, that controversy. All, there's yeah. all kinds of them here about what might have been the very first, and and the very first film. Should we use film and movies interchangeably? Yes. Probably. Uh, the very first yes. movie was something called The Horse in Motion. And uh, when did that, when was that, 1890, 1880-something? I think 93, something like that. And it was, all it was really was a series of 24 of, cameras shooting stills. Of horses, yeah. of a and, horse running, yeah. and then and it, it was, was put together. And it, the, it was like the, stop the, animation. Yeah, it was, it basically, it's, and it was, I'm trying to think, it was not, Kinetoscope. It was pre-kinetoscope, yeah. but it, it was also led to what became the Nickelodeon, yeah, or the Peep Show, right. And then uh, we have, uh, oh, we have uh, Thomas Edison, and uh, some people will say he was the great, one of the greatest men alive. Others will say the great opportunist. Great opportunist. He was a bright man. He's a very, very inventive. Very bright man. Very, and uh, he liked to steal a lot. Um, and well, hey, if you think about it, though, I just I just don't know. He's very much like today's business world. You know, you've got a huge corporation. You've got a team of scientists or technicians or people working on, you know, like, like what's his name from uh, Amazon? Bezos. Yeah, Bezos. And the other, uh, the other guys, too. You know, they came up with something. Started an empire, and then all the every all the advancements, you know, like all the, all of the Apple stuff, that that's all the the team. Yeah. And the team, the team don't get credit for it. No, and not especially in Edison's world, the team never got credit yeah. for it. Uh, I don't mean to. Yeah, but they got paid really well. Uh, they got paid really well. Yeah. Well. So and they loved him to death. Yeah. And the reason I and my point about that is. The proof of that is they all stayed with him. The mm-hmm. majority of them, the core group, stayed there. And they stayed there because he treated them well and he paid them well. Um, and there wasn't another I would say market to you to that, yeah. Well, and, and, and I'll, I, I'm not going to say, Harry, that I don't disagree about his, shall I say, pilfering. But he's, you know, 
he's no different than Henry Ford. Exactly. Which is why Ford is why Ford loved Edison so much. Mm-hmm. Because somebody else had created many of the things that Edison brought to the marketplace. The difference is is that Edison streamlined the process, the manufacturing process, the development process, and the research uh, uh, process so much quicker. And that's what Ford did. Daimler-Benz was making uh, uh, cars in the 1880s, but it took Henry Ford to perfect the process of delivering it to the marketplace. And there has to be something said about that. And the the Froggies were doing it before Edison as well. Yeah, it was the, the, uh, uh, the assembly line. That's the that that was the key well, yeah, there you know, with, with Ford. But yes, as, as Bunker mentioned, the French were making movies uh, before Edison uh, thought about making movies. Um, uh, the English right. were making movies as well. The Germans, uh, the Italians, the mm-hmm. Japanese. There were lots yes. of people yes. who were making movies, film movies, interchangeable. And while they may not have been the blockbuster things that we see on our silver screen today. Uh, a 12 second clip that's a film <laughs> yeah it is and, and you know when you think it, right. you compare it to what was before zero seconds <laughs> see there you go <laughs> it, and you know, this is the thing too it's like you, if you look at the guys that the early which we were talking about earlier the early Edison films the Indian dances the guys that were directing it and filming it they were also developing the equipment the way of doing it and uh, other processes the one guy that directed all of those he went on and, and, and really perfected the camera exactly the, the, the cameraman went on and perfected well, uh, the parts of the camera and then the, the development of the projector mm-hmm. there were two different styles of projectors you know, and you remember the kinetoscope which basically was a strip of film yep you could only be and they'd run it over because that's what happened to uh, which one was it the Buffalo Bill film mm-hmm. that they they just well, made they and, just made a bunch of strips only... and when they were used up there was no master there was no more and they were lost right well, and then, and only to exemplify your point is that then Ford came in and took uh, the Edison process that he saw developed and he watched being made as a crew member coming up through the ranks, and then he took that and perfected that and advanced it. So, you know, everyone, I, I find very few originators, mm-hmm. uh, shall I say. Uh, They're entrepreneurs. And by the way, we, yeah, they're entrepreneurs, and so you have entrepreneurs, and then you have artists. And entrepreneurs, right, and they create the platform, and then the artists get to come in and and make it beautiful. Yeah, okay. you know, which is artistry or art artisans' expression is energy focused in such a way that it comes out in a blissful way. I want to read something here. This is this. We, uh, America has had its heroes, athletes, military leaders, explorers, politicians, scientists, astronauts, but no group has ever come close to matching the sustained atomization heaped on the heroes of the Saturday matinee. By golly, that is so yeah. true. <laughs> and here's, I want to read another thing here, too, while we're doing get this stuff out of the way. It is said the passing of an era, a genre, a group of entertainers the like of which the world will never see again. I speak of the programmers, westerns, lovingly referred to as hoss operas, sagebrushers, giddy-ups, cactus capers, shoot-em-ups, bees, odors, and a group of thrill-makers who primarily made movies for what was referred to as the grinds and the splits or double harness or dueler market, the double matinee, where audiences wanted plenty of action and only a modicum of romance and talk. Yep. That's why we watch them. <laughs> yeah. And I got one more thing. This is from my notes. This is not. I'm not cribbing somebody else here. Uh, in the silent westerns, many of the cowboy heroes mixed light comedy with hard action. This style was carried on in the early talkies by the likes of Luke Gibson, and to the some extent by Ken Maynard and Buck Jones. A little later, it was straight action with the comedy element left to the sidekicks. The silent odor offered stronger roles for women and generally more romance than the sound era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, of, the, of the silent movies that I've watched, that's very, very true. Yeah. Especially in the serials. I oh, mean, yeah. uh, with, with, with uh, Pearl, Pearl White's... Uh, Pearl Helen. You know, they, yeah. they, yeah, it's, it's amazing because they were some of the first really big stars of film was the, was the ladies. Yeah. Well, the... This, this particular website here, uh, uh, grunge.com, uh, an article is The Untold Truth About the First Westerns, uh, suggests here that um, the Cripple Creek Bar Room that was released in May of 1899. Todd, you should drink there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Colorado there. Uh, Cripple Creek Bar Room. Uh, Edison uh, t- tells the story here, and it is suggested that. Uh, the, the silent western and other film aficionados agree that that movie was the very first real western. And the question is asked, why did Edison choose to focus on Dawson City and Cripple Creek? Well, because both places were the scene of late 19th century gold booms. Um, you can see Cripple Creek Barroom, what there is of it, um, 48 seconds worth. That's available on the That's YouTube. That's a long one. Yeah, it's available on the YouTube. And... Uh, and again, and again the, these were not filmed on location. Uh, the Edison Studios were just outside of a small town in New Jersey, and they also Orange. used they also used uh, uh, scenery in western and make that eastern Pennsylvania and uh, in western New Jersey. So uh, that 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 was the West, according to uh, the silence. Well, it's like the stunt guys used to say you know, when, they, when we were shooting. And they would want to go off on some location, and they wanted to be able to go home at night. Yeah. They'd go, a tree is a tree. <laughs> Todd, you got something you want to throw in there? Well, you know, I think it's important for us to remember, you know, in a lot of people's minds, I'm not saying ours, but I think in a lot of people's minds, you know, the, the film or the history of the film business is divided into two. There are the silence. And then when the jazz singer came out, uh, a whole new film business came about. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have never seen a, 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 a silent, care to see a silent, have an interest to see a silent and would find it boring or whatever. But the silence gave birth to the entire film industry. Yep. It's all one big thing. All and that's where all the these world. guys cut. Yeah, and they cut their teeth. Um, and I would say to you that, you know, when you see that who were in the silence, but Harry Carey, one of the main players in silence, who that lineage you can, you know, he and Ford together coming up, uh, Ford going on to being the greatest director in the history of film not just in this country, but in the world. The only guy to ever win six Oscars. Uh, And he then has a major influence on so many filmmakers, including Steven Spielberg, Kurosawa, uh, and so many others. And then you also have his his work and influence on John Wayne, who had an influence on so many others. Mm -hmm. You also have Terry Carey Jr., Harry Curry Sr., who had an influence more than anybody, maybe, on Wayne. So mm-hmm. and a lot of other. This people. is these are the and so many others. But this is the germination. This is the genesis of the film business, and in turn, later television westerns as well. It's all rooted in Ford and Harry Carey Sr. and uh, of course uh, Bronco Billy Anderson and George O'Brien. And so on. It's all you can go find it. It's all there. All it all stems from there. It starts out as a little willow tree, and it grows to be this immense uh, sequoia. And we can't. And by the way, sequoia. We can't forget Bill Hart. Yep. You know who 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 had more of an influence to me. You know, I think he's one of the greatest on heroes. Yeah, yeah. Hart had a huge influence on Harry Carey. And also laid the foundation for all these actors and directors who love to walk around and talk about, well, you know, my film is authentic because I made a Western with real <laughs> Indians in it. Well, Bill Hart was doing that in, 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 the, in the 1970, you know, the, in the teens. Yeah. And Harry Carey he had an Indian, Indian community on his ranch. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, was it Santa, yeah. Santa Clarita? Yeah, and yeah, Santa Clarita. Yeah, up in Santa Clarita. So, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, here, let me let me. Really, I, 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 I wanted to. I jump. would just say that it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we we don't remember our past. That's all I wanted to say. I just I wanted to jump back to the jazz singer because if you watch the jazz singer, the first twenty minutes or so me, is a silent movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to throw something out at you. <laughs> you know, we were talking. Todd was talking about you know first sound movie, uh, jazz singer. There's a director named Cooper. I mean, I mean, I've mentioned to Harry a couple of times, and this guy came along there at Edison. Oh, around 1890, about that. And he actually experimented with sound in the 1890s. Mm-hmm, he experimented mm-hmm. with color. These guys were, they, all this stuff that, we, you know, suddenly was there. They were playing, it was like television was was around at 1900. But yeah. they just couldn't, you know, Lee the technology DeFore- wasn't there. Lee DeForest and Tesla, I mean, you know. Yeah. And it's a, well, let's it, also remember that, that Jack Warner said... Um, you know, they had been testing it for a, two or three years before the jazz yes. singer came out. Yes. And and Jack Warner is quoted famously as saying, in fact, <laughs> you know, uh, my two favorite Jack Warner quotes are, mm-hmm. number one, Where's talk, the cigars? actors talk. <laughs> Who would? Who the hell would want to hear an actor listen to an actor talk? Uh, I kind of feel that way now about actors, but that's another story, and I'm going to leave that alone for today's show. The other favorite, my other favorite story about Jack Warner was um, when they brought him the script for Bonnie and Clyde, which eventually was made by the great uh, Irving Penn and uh, Arthur Penn, excuse me, and. Faye Dunaway and uh, uh, Warren Beatty and Michael Michael J. Pollard. He Dub said, Taylor. Why are we going to make a Dub Taylor? He said, "Why?" And 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 by the way, Denver Pyle. He said, mm. "Why are we going to make a movie about rats? Mm-hmm. There are a couple of rats, and they got what they deserved." So you know, uh, I think it's important to realize that the fathers of our of the film industry, which also extends the television. Don't you know they have good intentions, but they don't always make the right decisions. Well, the other thing about Warner, uh, you know, he may he said all of that thing, uh, those things about sound. Yet it was the serial Rin Tin Tin that saved Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to throw something out. Think about this. True, um, very true. Uh, Charles Chaplin said something about sound films. He was against him, and he and his reasoning was, I'm against sound. Because I make a movie, and my movie can be shown all over the world. Over the world. He says, you That's know, I, right. if I make my movie in sound, it can only be shown in the United States, England, and Canada. And, yeah. and, it, it's well, all, and it, his pictures were shown extensively throughout Russia. Oh yeah, I mean he was a huge, huge market. And here's the other thing too: we, you know, because we're talking about silent westerns, there was already in Europe, uh, the Germans were making silent westerns in in the late 1890s. England was playing with them. France was making them. Italy was making them. Spain, which didn't have much of a film industry yet, was even trying it. The only place that they weren't really messing with them was Russia and Asia. All right, we're talking silent westerns on Movie Saturday here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Uh, we're streaming to you live from the White Stallion Ranch. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, David Layton's with us as well. We're going to take our first commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about we'll the stars. Yeah, <laughs> we talk about the stars of the silent westerns right after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. 
that's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tancoverde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're darn to. I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. We have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Out here, due process is a bullet. This is the Voices of the West. Francie's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in the Los Angeles area, David Layton is our studio audience for today. Don't shoot the <laughs> piano player. They don't shoot the piano player. That that gentleman is uh, a tune called the Bronco Billy Rag. There you go. Written in uh, 1914 as an ode to G.M. Anderson, Bronco Billy. Now, who, who really is one of the great pioneers as well. Indeed, he was one of the first movie cowboys. SNA. Uh, 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 that was his uh, his company, SNA Studios. Uh, the Great Train Robbery is where we're going here. Uh, it is the first feature western, first western feature film uh, of At the least in America. of the silent era in America. Indeed, and the only other thing I got to tell you is Justin D. Barnes. You don't know Justin D. Barnes? Justin D. Barnes. Yes, I do here. He's the bandit who fires the camera, fires right straight into the That's camera. right. But he was uncredited. He but was, so was everybody. Everybody was uncredited, even Edwin S. Porter, who was the director yes. of the movie, was, uh, was not credited. Which leads me to Edwin S. Porter, whom I... The oh, more be I, nice to be with you. The, the more I look into this guy, the more I think, wow... Uh, I, you know, I kind of wish I could go back in time and and just be a fly on the wall to watch uh, what all was going on. Uh, he, Porter, Porter was just, in, I, I think, an incredible guy, an incredible director. He's the he helped develop the modern concept of continuity editing, which paid paved the way for D.W. Griffith, who would expand on Porter's discovery that the unit of film structure was the shot, 
rather than the scene. Yeah. And here's a, here's a footnote. Porter was also writer on that, and he was also one of the cameramen. Yep, as well as being... He was busy. Being the director. And, and the assistant director was it, a fellow named Gilbert M. Anderson. Yep. And Bronco Billy. Was Bronco Billy. And he did like three or four parts in there. Yeah. And this was before he knew how to write. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, wa- wa- watching this with all the uncredited and everybody who is uh, partaking in the production, it's like watching a Travis Mills film. <laughs> and yeah. I only say that because I know he listens to the program <laughs> yeah. and we love his films. <laughs> okay, I want to throw this out too. Tom London, who was still working in film... Uh, into the 50s. Into the 60s and even into the 70s. Really? He was doing wow. until he died. Uh, he was one of the locomotive engineers. And uh, who was the other guy I'm trying to think? Oh, I mentioned to you just a little bit ago. Uh, Anderson. No, no, not Anderson. Okay, well, you know, I have another guy here. But anyway. Fred Anderson, yeah. You know, oh, here's here's an interesting thing. Several scenes in it were actually hand colored or hand tinted, so it actually had. You could say that it was also one of the first films to have color. It, an interesting side note uh, from the Great Train Robbery and Edwin S. Porter. Uh, the Great Train Robbery came out in 1903. In 1905, Porter directed, produced, and directed a, a film uh, called The Little Train Robbery. And it was a parody on the Great Train Robbery, and it used children in all of the roles, and they robbed a kitty train uh, as it's going through somebody's backyard. And they got chocolate-covered dollars. I don't know what they must have been candy. Yeah, I don't know what they what they uh, what they got, but they were chased by police, and when they were uh, trying to flee the police. They were using little horses. <laughs> well, here's, it was—it's a great parody, man. Well, here's a little more. Uh, can we talk about the first being the first western? It was shot in Dover, Essex County, New Jersey, and in Orange Mountain, West Orange, New York. Two yeah, locations. Two locations. That's one of the first films to go on location. And, and I love this. this is the tagline how they advertised it. It's electrified, Dad. It terrified Mother. It will amuse you. <laughs> Todd Roberts, talk about William S. Hart. Well, you know, I, I think that he knew him. Um, <laughs> as Harry, yeah, uh, yeah. As Harry, you know, as Harry Carey is is was so influential. I think Hart was maybe even more so because uh, after time after time that. A studio was going to make a Western. Uh, who did they send? They sent the star out to hang out for the weekend with, with Hart or the overnight at his house up in Santa Clarita. And in turn, of, the, of course, it was all a publicity stunt. We know that. And they brought a photographer and they take pictures. So there are pictures of Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, and so many other stars of the day in the in the 30s and the 40s that are hanging out with Hart. Um, he stopped making films in 26. Uh, he died in 46, and he built his ranch, and he lived there for 20 years. But he also, uh, it's important to remember that the people of the day, Wyatt Earp, uh, um, Amelia Earhart, and so many other people who had real jobs in real ways were out there doing um, what you want to call real things, living real lives. They looked up to Hart. And there is a court in Hart's home from Wyatt Earp. There's a letter uh, also, there's a letter from Amelia Earhart. Uh, so many people looked up to him. And he was, I, his, the way he lived his life was I think so important it's because important. he was he w- the same guy he was on screen was the guy who he was off screen. Uh, I always love the story. You know, he built his house up on the hill in uh, Santa Cruz. It's called uh, Los Ventanos, the winds, and uh, he would walk down the hill into town 
And um, as kids would see him walking by, they, they, yeah, Newhall, Santa Clarita, they'd say, where are you going, Bill? He said, well, um, I was thinking about going to get an ice cream. You want to come? And by the time he got to the ice cream parlor, he had 25, 30 kids (laughs) trailing him like he was the Pied Piper. And he'd buy them all ice cream. And... You know, he was just eternally loved out in that community. There's also in the house, which I've never been able to take you to, Harry, yet, because the last time you came to see me it's was closed. COVID. But, you were a Dolson um, right? There is a, yeah. Yeah, I was. I was. I would dress up as Bill Hart, and I would give the tours as Bill Hart, oh, cool. and I'd wear a gun belt. With with a uh, with a banana in it because you can't have uh, a you know I, I even though I did show up more than once I showed up almost every time with my uh, nickel single action prop gun nickel yeah. non firing cannot be used as a weapon right uh, and the sheriff would always say you know I'd prefer you not to so the I, I would put a banana in, in there or something. <laughs> Yeah, one time I even rolled up a bag of jerky and I stuck it in there. But uh, you know the 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 uh, you know the thing about Hart that I love so much is you know he just was a normal person. Yeah. When he first moved there in '24, he lived in the bunkhouse with the cowboys. Yeah. Down he employed the over the a dozen cowboys. Yeah, bottom of the hill. He lived with the Cowboys. He lived, you know, he expanded. He took over one section of it and had a private room. But he ate with them. He slept in the same building with them and so on. But uh, there's a great story because in the in the living room, there's a, a tree trunk uh, that's on display. And it's all carved very intricately. And uh, somebody got word to him that there were some people who had driven during, uh, <clears throat> you know, when he was living there, they had driven a car out or a truck out from wherever they were from, and the front bumper had a carved pictorial scene of a, of a, of a, Mora, a Borax mule team carved into this wooden wow. uh, log, cool. which was attached to the front of the car like a bumper. Wow. And they said, you know, Bill, you should go down there and look at that thing. It's really interesting. So he decided to take a jaunt down there, and he goes down there, and he finds the truck, and he strikes up a conversation. He ends up buying the bumper. <laughs> <laughs> he buys cool. And he brings it back to his house and puts it in his living room, and it's there on display. Is that the mantle? You know, he was also a. I know it's not the mantle. It's on. Uh, it's about two or three feet off the ground. It's on a stand, uh, and it's horizontal. Uh, and you can, you, you know, it's very dark, dark wood. But if you look at it closely, you'll see the pictorial carving of, a, you know, a wagon train, mule train, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he also, you know, for a guy who was so incredibly patriotic, very proud of his country, very, very uh, supportive of the law enforcement and the military, um, you know, he had a Japanese uh, husband and wife who were his houseman and his housekeeper. They, they ran his home. And uh, he... He, I don't know how he did it, but he accomplished it. He kept them in his home mm. uh, during World War II. Mm. And uh, and people were like, you know, you need to get those people out of here. And he was like, you know what? This is my home. I'll live the way I want to. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't care. He didn't cave into the pressure. He did, though, I will say, you know, he had in the cement throughout the back area of the house, um, he had designs in the cement of what some might call the four directions, others might call a zia, others might call rolling logs. Most people today think of them, uh, what they're called as swastikas, which uh, Hitler adopted uh, for the Nazi party. And that was a twist. Um, and he, yeah, and he kept it, it was backwards, it was the other way. Yeah. But people would look at it and say, why do you have swastikas in your, in your, in your walkways? And he got tired of answering it, and so he what he did was he had them dug up, and it was a contrasting color. It was kind of a pinkish mauve, 
uh, cement in the regular cement. So he had them with regular concrete, but you can still see the outlines. And, you know, when people would ask him, he said, you know what, I'm not willing to discuss it anymore. Yeah. I'm just not. I've, I live, I've proven the way I live, by the way. I, my patriotism, by the way, I live. I'm not willing to do it any longer. It means something to me that's totally different than what it means to you. And unfortunately, it's been hijacked by the present times. Yeah. And that's where he left it. So he was no lie. He didn't want to explain that it was a Native American symbol of good luck. In other words. It was all over the world. He was just tired. It, yeah. It's in Tibet. It's, it's everywhere. And by the way, uh, there is a bronze plaque at the front door of the Hart House that states very plainly and very succinctly, it's only about a paragraph, and it says this house, I'll paraphrase, this house is open to any and all of any race, read, color, or denomination, period. Yep. And always shall be. And, what about gender? And he does, He never cared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bunker, I'm you're going to try to get me in trouble, <laughs> and I haven't, I I haven't drank shoulders. enough. For that to happen. My favorite heart movies, Hell's if Hinges. If I drank a little more, then it would have been. My favorite heart movies were Hell's I, well, Hinges, I, yeah. The Return of Draw Egan, and Tumbleweeds. Those but, are those are my favorite William S. Tumbleweeds. And, you know, if you look at yeah. all the others, they Tumbleweeds. Just, oh, they're all good, no question. The, those are my favorite. Hey, we got to do. They're another, all good. Got to do another commercial break here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Silent westerns is the topic. We'll be back with much more after this. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. A little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchman to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Rent a hench, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. My name is Neil Summers. I started my 53-year stunt profession on High Chaparral and Gunsmoke and a few other shows. And I'm still active, and uh, I want to thank Voices for the West for having me on. We're back on Emil Francis' Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts with you. David Layton is here as well, freelance journalist. We will let you know about that. 
Neil, Neil Summers did not do any silent movies, did he? <laughs> well, he was silent in some of the early I movies was... we worked on. You know, they wouldn't let us talk. For good reason, I'm sure. Uh, silent Westerns is the topic of today's uh, Movie Saturday program. Bunches of actors that were in the Bees, uh, we affectionately call the Bees, uh, came out of the silent era. We got Tom Mix, we got Jack Holtz, we've got Jack Hoxie. Those are the ones everybody knows. We were about the guys they don't know. We've got uh, um, um, uh, Leif McKee. Oh, okay. Well, let, let's, let me talk about one of them. Please do, Bunker. Test, test, your, test your knowledge here. Got a, a fella called Roy Stewart. And Roy was a, a salubrious, <laughs> I love that word, <laughs> progenitor of westerns. He is a good example of a first-rate performer from the movie's infancy whose films, for the most part, are in the lost group. And that's why we don't know about a lot that's of these too bad, guys, yeah. which is true. Uh, and whose personal life is largely impenetrable, which means we don't know too much about him as well. And But he, he went on, and he was a favorite of our, not our granddads, but I'd say our great-granddads, or maybe our granddads. He was very, very, very popular. Uh, the very first Western serial was called Liberty, he was in that, and uh, with uh, Jack Holt, Neil Hart, Marie Walker. He moved over to Triangle, replacing William S. Hart, who had left. And while he was there, he became, that's where he, he, he had his major success. He was a major star there. He did films such as The Law's Outlaw, Keith of the Border, The Learning of Jim Benton, One Shot Ross. Wolves of the Border, The Devil Dodger, Boss of the uh, Lazy Hawaii. And this is this is kind of describing him. Stewart was solidly built, six feet two inches tall, and weighed 195 pounds. For the record, he had brown hair and eyes. He was an impressive figure, whether slapping leather in a western gunfight or having a tete-a-tete with the bounteous nymph in her boudoir. <laughs> he versatile. Somewhat like John Wayne in physique, his sinewy frame did not lend itself to dancing the sapotato, and his mere presence in a room seemed to fill it. Hmm. That's one of the early guys, the pioneers of the of the of the stars. Hoot Gibson started out in silence. Tim McCoy started out in silence. Don't know if Johnny Mac Brown was in silence. Tom Mac did silence. He, Johnny Mac did silence. Uh, I mean, you know, lots of them did silence and, and, and moved on. And this is the thing too: is like you know, you mentioned uh, Gibson and Mix and Jones. Uh, they all came. Well, uh, Mix came from ranching background yep. and rodeo, and he worked with some of the Wild West yep. shows, yep. was with the Miller brothers. Yep. Uh, Hoot was a world champion bronc rider, yep. just like the act was, yep. who was also a star in the silence before yep. he became a stuntman. And uh, Buck Jones, actually, he's, one of his first jobs was doubling Tom Mix. Yes. And that shows you, you know, if you're doubling Tom Mix, you got to be pretty damn tough because Tom Mix did most of his own stuff. Tell the story that we've talked about uh, before going to the live stream about Yak and uh, Devil Horse. Well, the interesting thing, the Devil Horse. Let me let me just dig that up here. I think I got some. Notes Devil on. Horse was a serial. Uh, I believe it starred Harry Carey. Uh, it was a serial and a feature. They a made feature. A, they okay. could, you know, they, they would take a lot of condensed the serials it, okay. and condense them down. Well, I know Harry Carey was in it. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, Hal Roach was the producer and done at his studios. Uh, Pathé Exchange was the company to distribute it. The director was Fred Jackman, who's a name. We, people need to look up because this guy was very prolific. Uh, Roach was the producer, and also he did the story. In addition, added material was from Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy. Interesting. Before Laurel and Hardy. Interesting. And he, also, Jacqueline was uh, the uh, director of photography, along with George Stevens. We know George, that name. That, yeah, Shane, yeah. yeah. And the, the movie starred. Rex, the devil horse. Yep. And it's the funny thing is, Rex really was a devil horse. He came from a ranch up in Colorado, uh, had a bad reputation for hurting people, uh, or just turned violent. Uh, Hal Loach heard about the horse and actually bought him and gave him over to a trainer in the valley. 
and he worked with him. And by the time uh, this film was made, uh, Rex had appeared in several movies and was already a star. That's okay. and Yak had worked with him, and he's familiar with him. And so they, this is that famous scene where you've got Yak holding on to the head of the horse, uh -huh. and the horse is trying to eat him alive. Uh -huh. Well, in reality, the horse was trying to lead, eat him alive. Good. Great. And the horse, it's rumored, actually killed a trainer. Wow. At some point. But anyhow, in the scene there, they were, they were doing one shot there. Uh, this was before the before the fight. Uh, the uh, they had done the shot three times, and the director said, "You know." Says, we, we need one more. It's the old we need one more thing. It always <laughs> seems to hurt, get a stuntman hurt. Uh, but we need one more. And Yak said, no, I don't think we should do it. He's getting he's getting tired and yeah. he's getting angry. And he said, no, no, we need it. And so well, Yak said, well, okay. You know, because Yak, Yak was fearless. They do it. They roll camera. And as soon as they rolled camera, Rex's ears went back. He started snapping, which for those that don't know, that's when a horse will like, bites at you. Okay. And that means they're go they want to hurt you very uh -huh. badly. Yep. And anyhow, they he runs at Yak, and Ra Yak is like fighting for his life. Trainer runs in, distracts uh, Rex for a minute. Yak gets away, and he thinks, well, I'm clear. Here comes uh, Rex again, snapping and striking at him. He's, and Yak says, the only thing that saved me was there was a wall, and I was able to get over it. He says, he would have either killed me or eaten me alive. The horse had it in for him. Yeah, and he said he would, <laughs> but he would snap. Wow. And there's another great thing here, if I can find it here. I want to see where we got here, where we got it here. Oh, anyhow, I'll forget about that. I'm going to Yak, of course, who played Dave Carson. The storyline, for those that aren't familiar, is Yak and the, and the horse, when he's a little boy, right. and the little boy is played by the director's son, yeah. uh, Fred Jr., and uh, they... The wagon train is massacred, and and young, what is the what is this, young Davy and the horse are separated. The Indians take the horse, but they abuse him and they torture him, and, treat, and the horse becomes a killer. And he hates Indians in particular. Mm -hmm. Well, years later, uh, young Davy has grown up, and he's become he gets captured by the Indians again, and they think it would be great sport to have have uh, the horse eat up the white man. And so Why they not? turn him loose on him, and the horse comes at him. But it's like that thing of, like the horse looks at him and says, "Don't I know you?" <laughs> and he looks at the horse yeah. and goes, "Don't I know you?" Yep, yep. And they realize, they re they recognize, they reestablish, and of course they, they 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 defeat the Indians and they have a happy ending. It's a great movie. Yeah, uh, the feature and the serial. Uh, you can find these on if you're wanting to watch any of these, and I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, because it is Western film history, uh, you can find a lot of these on uh, the YouTube. And I have a little more here. It was actually shot up out on the Augerson Ranch at Chatsworth, up at the Little Board River in Montana, Little Bighorn River. And, it, and there's also a photo, I don't know why, a photo of Cody, Wyoming, which was in the movie. Okay. Now, I want to give you some of... This is the, what is really interesting. There's a great fight, in, wild horse fight in there between Rex and his Pinto Stallion. Uh-huh, yes, I remember it, that. They use it over and over. Okay, here's this. This was edited into Wild Horse Roundup, 1936. Coming Round the Mountain, 1936. Hit the Saddle, 1937. The Devil Horse, 1932, a remake with yep. Harry Carey. Uh -huh. The Phantom of the West, 1930. Law of the Wild. Uh, I didn't have a date on that one. The Painted Stallion, 1937. And footage from the movie was used in The Vanishing Legion, 1931. <laughs> Rustler's Roundup, 1933. <laughs> Strawberry Roan, 1933. That's save, the, old, the old stock footage thing. Save the print. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're going to do our final commercial break here before we run out of time. Such great stuff we're talking. Silent Westerns on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at Voices of the West.net. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're to... I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. We have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Remember, all of you, we're playing for big stakes, mighty big stakes, an empire of cattle and land. The Diamond Hitch is not only the key ranch, but it controls the water privileges of the entire district. Once I take over, I'm clamping down. No more free water. That means that the other ranches will dry up like dust and blow away. This is the Voices of the West. Way more than you know, there's nothing wrong with your nothing wrong with your radio. Oh, that was delightful. That's, that's Global Global Leon Reeves, man. Happy cowboy, happy day. What a good yodel. stuff. I know, good wow. stuff, huh? All right. Uh, talk about Arizona days, Bunker. Okay, this is a, this is we're doing research for this. I come across this one this week. I had to watch it, and man, am I glad I did. I just found it. Uh, 
at a place called where did I find it? Anyhow, it was it originally ran fifty seven minutes. Yeah, and it's uh, they lost some of the minutes. The, the version that Harry found there runs forty three <laughs> minutes. It was directed by J. P. McGowan, and uh, it was let's see what was skips. Uh, the guy that adapted it was Mac V. Wright, and I'll talk about him later. It starred Bob Custer, uh, had Peggy Montgomery, not Baby Peggy, but uh, and she was very beautiful and very, a good actress. And it also had Mac V. Wright, uh, who was one of the head bad guys, and I'll talk a little bit about him later. The uh, story is that to stop Hicks, that's McGowan, the director also played the lead heavy in that, and actually he was the best thing in the movie. He's in, you know, to, uh, Bob Custer's trying to stop Hicks from rustling cattle. Uh, for, the Cattlemen Association sent him in undercover, uh, and they, they tried to trap the gang. Uh, Custer's partner, posing as a dude, uh, lets their identity s- uh, slip, and so they've been exposed, and so the bad guys are going to make off with all the cattle and everything else. Uh, the film length, this is this, because this, we were talking about this, the film length was 1,278 1, meters, or five reels. It's in the public domain, and I want to talk a little bit about Bob Custer. He's the lead in that. He appeared in over 50 films, mostly westerns, from 1924 to 37, including Arizona Days, The Fighting Hombre, and so on and so forth. Now, getting into the really good stuff, J.P. McGowan was a pioneer Hollywood actor and director, uh, occasionally a screenwriter and producer. He's the only Australian to make the life uh, make a life membership in the Screen Directors Association. Oh yes, okay, I remember that guy. Yeah, and he yeah. was a horseman. He served in the Second Boer War with Montgomery Scouts. His first film appearance was in A Lad from Old Ireland for Kalem Studios in New York, and that was the first American film short shot on location outside the United States and shot in Ireland. Uh, his works uh, spanned four decades. He acted in 252 films, wrote 26 screenplays, directed 242 productions. He directed John Wayne in the Hurricane Express serial. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was executive secretary for the Screen Directors Guild from uh, 1938 to 51. A couple of his other films was The Hazards of Helen. He did uh, uh, the first 54 episodes of that. And uh, <laughs> then, this is the other guy I want to get to, Mac V. Wright. Going to have to wait on him. Yeah. Because we ran out of time. We're, we're almost out of time. And I want, I want both of you, Todd and Bunker, to uh, now, no more than one minute, please. <laughs> the, the, did the guys who were the pioneers of this film industry, this movie industry, do you think that they had any idea that it would flourish into what it had has become or what it would become? I think possibly because... Well, I, w- because I would they, say to you oh, in the beginning... Ahead. Go ahead. Well, I would say in the beginning, Bunker, that that no, because when, when uh, uh, Ford came out uh, and he, excuse me, um, Cecil B. DeMille came out and rented the barn, the Hollywood Heritage Museum. He got it for $75 a month, mm-hmm. and that was half as much as they told him he could spend. So he, he, he was trying to, he knew they would, if he spent the whole dollar amount, I think they, he thought, you know, uh, let me go safe here and not spend as much money mm-hmm. so I won't get too much grief. But, you know, it's important, I think, to remember that you know, going back to Ford, that there are a lot of lineages of people that go under the radar, such as Jay Farrell McDonald, mm-hmm. who, uh, in my opinion, delivers the greatest line in any film ever, uh, which is in the great uh, My Darling Clementine, when Henry Ford is falls in love with Kathy Downs, and she walks out of the bar, and he looks at uh, uh, the bartender, J- uh, Mac, and says, Mac, you ever been in love? And he says... No, been a bartender all my life. And I think that that just, you know, it, to me is it's my favorite line of all time. I do have an honorable mention real quick, which is the film three, 
Three Amigos, uh, yeah. which I know it's not a talking, it's yeah. a talking, it's yeah, not yeah, a yeah, silent, yeah, yeah. but those characters play all silent characters. They all do yeah. silent movies that in was their excellent. characters. Excellent movie. And I always love it, and it's always funny. Bunker, very quickly, do okay. they know it? I'll so there it, you have it. I'll keep it really simple. I think uh, a lot of guys, it was just a job. You know, as Ford uh-huh. said, a job, it's just a job. But they... But it wasn't. And I think some of these guys, you know, like uh, Patterson and Cooper, uh, Porter, these guys, I think they saw as it was changing, they saw the potential for growth. We're going to be doing silent movies again because we didn't cover anywhere near what we wanted to cover. So that's it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Next week, I don't know what we're doing, but join us anyway. 78, 79, 80. Shh, hush up now. Shut up. Shut up down in front. Shut up. I'm watching the movie. Shut up. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.